Well, good morning, everybody, and good morning, uh, lady in blue with all kinds of jewelry. Boy, that <laughs> looks great. Buenos dias, Orlando. ¿Cómo estás? Buenos dias a todos y bienvenidos a TLC Live. Yep, and like every Wednesday, we're delighted that uh, you're able to join us, and we have an exciting program to you, for you today. We're going to talk a lot about polling and geopolitics and political alignment that's going on across the country, but of course, more importantly, here in Texas. So that means that we're going to take you to Austin, Texas for the first 10 or 15 minutes, and then we're going to move down to the Rio Grande Valley, where all the action in conservative politics is going on in Texas, and that is Hidalgo County and the city of McAllen. So we have uh, quite a bit of traveling to do today, but we're just delighted that we have these guests with us today. They're just wonderful and just, you know, a plethora, a cornucopia of information. You know, you know what those words mean? No, 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 no. You lost me. You lost me at the at the plethora and cornucopia. No, you lost me at that. It'll be a compendium of information. Oh, wow. You always use those uh, fancy exotic, words. fancy words. Ex yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> only you understand. I, I know our next guest is going to understand what cornucopia and plethora and, you know, compendium of information is going to be. But I've got to introduce my dear friend that I've known for many, 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 many years, V. Lance Torrance Jr. He is a nationally recognized pollster that has worked for corporations, for presidential candidates, for senatorial candidates, has been involved in American politics for many years. But I'm really honored that he's my friend, and I'm honored that he's taken the time to be with us. And I've got to tell you that for those of you that know that our Texas Latino Conservatives Political Action Committee organization wouldn't be as successful as it is if it wasn't for the help of Lance Torrance. Uh, Lance is has been inducted into the American Association of Political Consultants Hall of Fame. I'm still waiting to be inducted, but Lance has already been inducted, and we're just delighted to have him today. Lance, how are things over in Austin, Texas? And by the way, Lance, welcome back to Texas. He moved back to Texas from, he escaped to New Mexico for a while, but he's back. By the way, that Hall of Fame has some dubious distinctions in this house because as my wife said, you may be in that, but not in this house. Uh, <laughs> well, I've, uh, I've had one foot in the academic world trying to study party, political parties, election behavior, uh, realignment changes, things that go on. And the other half in the campaign world where we have to win battles or the war is never won. So it's half militaristic, you will not say half academic. And not all the public opinion firms uh, are that way. A lot of them are just sheer political that adapt to statistics and so forth. And others are too academic and don't understand the real world. So I tried to get in between. And of course, my, uh, I guess you'd say, study laboratory of my entire life and career was mainly here in Texas, starting with John Tower, who did a lot with the Hispanic vote, incidentally. Uh, Celso Moreno was the uh, statewide uh, a political, I guess you'd say, representative that represented the state party for a long time. And Tower knew that that a lot of the jobs around the military bases in Texas were filled by Hispanic employment and did a good job of that on his armed services committee. So we've had a, a good foothold in the Hispanic vote in Texas, but it was mainly relegated around John Tower 
and kind of the 1960s and 1970s. So what we're seeing today is brand new and kind of exciting. Lance, I often say, uh, and of course, this is anybody wants to see what my opinions are. You can go to my personal uh, Facebook page, <clears throat> but I often tell people that there is no longer any room in the Democratic Party for Latinos. And beyond that, what the Democrats are selling, we ain't buying. And so that brings us to the issue of realignment. I noticed that the Wall Street Journal just a couple of days ago in their editorial page said that there are a lot of Latinos, Hispanics, are saying adios to the Democratic Party. And so there is a tremendous realignment going on. Uh, I don't know about other uh, states like um, Florida and, and New Mexico, but with respect to Texas, talk to us a little bit about that realignment. You, I know you, you study polls, you conduct polls, you analyze polls, and based on your many, many years of political involvement across the country— what is driving this realignment of, of Latinos looking at the conservative party? Well, we realignment is a permanent transformation, so we don't take that lightly, and it can't be measured just from one election. So we have to look at a continuity over many elections. And what's intriguing, the Wall Street Journal and, and Atlantic Monthly and others have all been doing big uh, journalistic reports of what's happening to the Hispanic vote, uh, meaning that they assumed it would lockstep fall into play to a large welfare state, large government, and fairly radical policies, uh, as we're seeing lately. But the keep in mind, the Hispanic vote, as we know, is, is really built on three anchors, faith, family, and freedom. Um, the job, the economy, business, and the, and the job situation is paramount. And these people are trying to build their families through good jobs. These people are trying to exercise their faith through having a good residence and, and good areas through jobs. And finally, they know that America has the, the basis of freedom that no other country really has had. So we have natural inclinations with the Hispanic core culture, with the Anglo core culture that obviously, you know, transitioned from the East Coast into Texas and other states over the last 200 years. So. Are we seeing a realignment or not? Um, you have to see several elections, but it's being fascinated. It's a fascinating subject right now because A, the Democrats are in, the Democratic Party leaders are in somewhat of a, a, a quizzical nature about what's happening. They treated the Hispanic vote like the Afro-American vote, uh, give them plenty of money, give them plenty of programs, uh, throw a few, uh, appointments here and there, and you can get the entire vote. And I must say, the African-American vote in this country historically was built along vertical lines. That means in a management sense, they could bring the vote out very quickly from their churches straight down. Hispanic vote, not only because of multiple ethnicities, but also because we're more horizontally based in terms of our residential patterns, geopolitics, and also even religious patterns have been changing. So you put all this together and the Hispanic vote was always very powerful on paper, but it never got socialized into the political system very much in this country without any great leaders like, uh, you know, Martin Luther King or something like that. So because they're horizontal, they don't have national leaders that lead the, the cowbell, you might say, for all the rest of the, of the cattle. They don't do that. Uh, secondly, uh, they have core values that are not lining up with the Democratic Party. And so these shifts, to bottom line, that have occurred recently 
and a fascinated journalist is it's been long and coming, probably over 30 years. Um, so the idea that somehow you could uh, uh, march, you know, a thousand Hispanics, tell them exactly how to vote and then march them back, uh, that doesn't fit with the three cultural values of freedom and faith and family. So the Hispanic vote has recognized, bottom line, that there isn't a lot of room in the Democratic Party anymore. And where they're going is not where they want to go. And uh, secondly, the conservative ideology, the right of center party, which is the Republican Party, stands out of their minds today more as we get more contact, personal contact, and that's what it's going to take. So there is a probably a realignment process starting because of the social tensions of the Democrats and some of the disruptitudes in our society. And finally, they're saying, you know, a Republican, especially if it's a Republican Hispanic candidate, they, they talk and act more like I do. And most of the Democratic Party is in the Northeast, very much in the center cities. Most of the Hispanic vote is in the West and the South and in the outlying areas beyond the cities. So we're in a perfect demographic, uh, demographic uh, storm, I guess, to be able to say that Republicans are, if they're ready, the population of Hispanics, they are ready for sure. Lance, um, I'm from Colombia, and you know, uh, talking about the Hispanic vote these days is not anymore as we thought, uh, you know, probably 10, 20, or 30 years ago, that we thought that it was just, uh, you know, the Mexicans and the Mexican community here in the United States. These days, we talk about cultural intelligence because we need to understand the culture and the Hispanic community is not just the Mexican. You know, I'm from Colombia. We have people from Venezuela, from everywhere in Latin America. How do you guys are dealing with these, you know, your, your pollster and, and your how do you deal with the cultural intelligence and try to understand the Hispanic community to get the best out of that? Well, there's several ways, as you know, but one of them is qualitative, and that is that you listen to the Hispanic voter, whether it's Central American or it's Mexican or it's Puerto Rican, whatever, Cuban. You listen and you pull together leadership profiles and so forth. Mm -hmm. But that's not quantitatively precise, and so we obviously use a lot of public opinion, random surveys, a cross-section of the Hispanic vote. It's kind of hard get the Hispanic vote, because in the old days, they would just go to Hispanic surnames, but we're probably looking at 25% or more that have intermarried, and you can't really find a good random sample by looking only at surnames. Uh, secondly, the uh, situation is more or less helpful that the Census Bureau has moved more toward um, self-identification rather than some kind of anthropological connection with first and second generation. So. If people say they think they're Hispanic, that's a self-perception. That's how we measure it today. But uh, we've got to be careful. One of the interesting things is there's always political action groups that want to say the Hispanic vote voted very much Democratic Party in, in a certain election. And you find out mainly they're out of California, used to be some out of San Antonio. They're very highly uh, agitated political activists for the Democratic persuasion. And they only interview people in, in very congested barrios or whatever in certain, let's say only in, in Texas, maybe they only go to, to Western San Antonio. They don't go into certain parts of Houston or Dallas where there's a lot of Hispanic population. Look at Conroe, Texas. It's very heavily Hispanic in many ways today, north of Houston. So they had what is called the ecological fallacy that they used to try to show how the, the vote is not moving at all. 
the vote is moving. Uh, we look at statewide surveys in Texas on self-identification, and we find out that we're somewhere in the 35 to 40 percent range of the Hispanic vote. Keep in mind, if the Democratic Party sees that the Hispanic vote is splitting more or less 50-50, they're in deep trouble because the Hispanic vote is growing in each election cycle. And by the way, that's one of the uh, failures of the Hispanic vote, besides being horizontally managed in different ethnicities. The other thing is that um, they um, basically um, uh, have not followed the prescriptions of being the Democrat, let's say. And we've gone over that in terms of faith, family, and freedom. But to get back to this, uh, what's happening is that uh, the Hispanic vote is dispersed more across the country. They are making different religious choices in terms of uh, identification. They are now, they've never been, a, particularly those Hispanics in Texas, have never been champions of big government. Um, the, the kind of sociological pattern has been big government Hispanics have moved to California and little government, more pro-family, have moved to Texas. Probably an oversimplification, but it makes a point. Well, can, so, I just, can I just jump in real quick? Because you, you bring yeah. up, an, it, this, I, I saw a poll result this morning that said that the uh, majority of Hispanics from California moving to Texas are not expected to vote with the Democratic Party, which is very interesting. And it, it aligns perfectly with that comment that you made. And by the way, I just saw last night an interview with Marco Rubio in Florida, senator from Florida, who also ran for president on Breitbart. And um, he, he said that the, the, the socialism, so to speak, uh, you know, the, the, the government handout, the dependency on government is not setting well with the Central American, Caribbean-based, and Hispanic that's moving to Florida because either if you're from Nicaragua, if you're from Venezuela, if you're from Cuba, you've seen the results of this socialism. So you don't come here to be dependent on the government. So economic opportunity, capitalism, and free markets really resonates with the Latino community. Well, yes. Remember, there's an old adage has to has something to do with uh, particularly drug addiction, uh, particularly, let's say, the Democratic Party, that you really don't make a change unless you, you self-perceive you've hit the bottom or you had a religious conversion. So some of those things are going on with the Hispanic vote in terms of looking at Venezuela, looking at some of these countries that literally have preached big government and have not produced. And all you have to do is look at the homes that previous presidents of various Central and South American countries have had, and you find out they're living in a $20 million home, and you wonder how they did that. Yeah. Well, a lot, of, a lot of people in these countries have figured it out. you have a question? Yeah, we have a, we have a question, Lance, and it's, a, it's a Fidencio Leja. He said, can uh, you give us your thoughts on the Hispanic voters on the rural counties like Galveston County and the role in the state? And that's a great question, by the way, Fidencio, because Lance and I were having a conversation yesterday on the phone about, you know, urban uh, Hispanic vote uh, versus the rural vote. And so, Lance, uh, go ahead and answer Fidencio's question. Well, I think you're asking, uh, you don't find the Hispanic vote in one nice cordon off area of, of town any longer. They've, they've Because they're uh, climbing up the social ladder in terms of jobs and aggregation of wealth, et cetera, as they move through the system, uh, they tend to move out into outer areas. So some of the more dominant Hispanic communities are not in the city of Houston, they're outside the cities in the peripheral area of these cities. And that's where a lot of uh, Hispanics who, who 
obviously purchased homes and moved in these semi-rural areas or so-called uh, near 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 suburbs in some ways um, or out of suburbs really is a more particular way to say it. Uh, they're the ones that are getting interested politically and they can make a tremendous impact because some of these rural counties may have only 6,000 votes. Well, you just need 3,000 plus one uh, to win a county commissioner seat or something of that sort. And the Hispanic vote has got to go through self-identity. That is, we are a political community nationwide. Granted, we've got very variants to it across the country, but we are a political community and we have weight or politicization because people are paying attention. And then you have to mobilize. The third stage of mobilization is only just beginning with the Hispanic vote. It started in the 60s with the African-American vote. And they've had, what, about you know 50 years of practicing this. So we're now entering a third stage of the Hispanic vote, getting mobilized. And I think it'll come from these smaller areas, not the big cities, that can actually make a real, real impact by electing a Hispanic county commissioner in their district or their county, or a school district board chairman, that sort of thing. So All right. let's go, uh, Lance. Let's go. Yeah, and, and speaking of these rural areas and smaller communities, and of course, it's uh, no one is going to say that uh, the Rio Grande Valley is a small community because if you go down there, you've seen the massive expansion and the growth. Uh, but we have uh, two guests that we're going to bring in, Lance, because now we've talked right. academically about what's going on with the Hispanic vote. But let's find out what's going on on the ground. And as you all have read in major journals, whether it's USA Today, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, uh, Fox News, uh, you've seen what's been happening down in the Rio Grande Valley, which is the hotbed of this realignment or the Latinos uh, shifting towards the conservative party. But no one... Uh, is more involved than our next guest, uh, our next two guests, uh, in 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 at the epicenter of what's going on in Texas down in Hidalgo County. So I'm going to let Andrea introduce our dear friends down in the Rio Grande Valley. So we have, uh, I love when we introduce women because, you know, I've been seeing this um, uh, synonymous uh, situation in the Rio Grande Valley and in the Valley, you know, pretty smart and you love to be around pretty and smart well i like to be around yeah intelligent women that know their yeah. politics and Correct. these and i've said for years that you know these ladies are leading texas politics and it's just amazing if you look at the crop of conservative latinas it's nothing short of amazing how and, and you know uh people don't understand but culturally in the home latinas rule so of course. go ahead and tell us who we've got up we have um, Adrienne Peña Garza. She's the chairwoman on the Hidalgo County Republican Party. And also we have uh, Chelsea Leanne, uh, Texas Young Republican Secretary. So welcome, ladies. Now, it's Chelsea Hal Garcia. Garcia? Yeah, is that right? Uh, Chelsea, is it, we have your name right? Yes, it is Chelsea Hal uh, Garcia. Okay. okay. No, so, Leanne? No. Okay. It, that's my middle name. Oh, you see? (laughs) So welcome, ladies. Uh, Adrian, we're going to go to you. First of all, I know you're an extremely busy chairwoman down in uh, in 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 the RGV down in Hidalgo County. So we want to thank you. Uh, Talk to us about uh, your experience down there as chairwoman of a county that is the transformation is absolutely stunning. Tell us 
how you guys are doing it, and how do you perceive this change based on what Lance just said? Uh, is that your perception down on the ground, down in the Rio Grande Valley? Yes, I agree with with everything that he said. Um, but moreover, is uh, Hispanics are people, and so individual liberty is very, very important. So. Down in South Texas, my father, he's a form, former state representative, Aaron Fangan. He was a Democrat that walked away, and we've been bullied uh, ever since. And see, I believe that that bullying has backfired. And I think Americans, human beings that vote Republican, that vote conservative, have been bullied for the past decade at least. And um, you can see that it's been backfiring. People are becoming more empowered to speak their mind. They're empowered to stand up for their families. And like Andrea said, I think women are just tired of just taking the backseat approach of politics and are wanting to do what they can to roll up their sleeves and get to work. And so most of the time, it's, a not, it's not a glamorous job. It's a lot of work. Politics is a tough, you have to have thick skin. Um, nobody's really always happy with you. No matter what you do, it's not good enough. Uh, but there is definitely some good work at hand, and it, it, it's really because of the grassroots, because of volunteers, because of organic reach, because of the committees. Um, you know, I know that I'm the chair, but we have a team of leaders that were volunteers, and now they're leading committees. You're talk we're talking about the LEO committee. We're talking about vacancy committee. We're chairs. We don't have um, hundreds and hundreds of precinct chairs in this county. But slowly but surely, we've been recruiting. A lot of them are Hispanic. And so the messenger, I think, also has a lot to do with it. So when you have a Hispanic female chair, it, it, it encourages others. And our chair before me, Sergio Sanchez with 710 Talk Radio, he also planted a seed. And Javier Villalobos before him planted a seed. And we can go on and on with Hollis Rutledge, um, Tom, uh, Tom uh, I mean, it just goes on and on. Wingate, excuse me. And uh, the one thing that I've been seeing this past election is a tremendous amount of women uh, ready to leave, lead and serve their families and their communities. Well, and, and that's exactly right. And, you know, we've had the honor of uh, visiting with and getting to know two of the dynamic Latina leaders down in the Rio Grande Valley, both announced that they're running for U.S. Congress, which is Monica de la Cruz. And uh, and and uh, Maida, uh, Flores Maida Flores and I know that you have been very instrumental in developing these two ladies. And uh, but you know I'm interested. So so your father was involved in the Democratic Party, but when walk walk us through Adrian's transformation from the influence of you know uh, the, the 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 grandparents and the parents voting with the Democratic Party, which was traditional for Latinos here in Texas and Tejanos and moving now towards the conservative party. How, how did that process work, work for, uh, for Adrian? Well, I'm not too sure if we have enough time to do that, <laughs> but I will start that I actually wanted to be a nurse, um, not into politics. My father was a you know state rep and I saw the repercussions of how he was treated. And um, my brother, Aaron, knows so much. He's a guru of politics. And I just have a servant's heart. I love to connect with people. And I think that that's an important formula to connecting with voters. Uh, and then trying to transition voters to become these uh, Jedi activists for the Republican Party, because those are the ones that are going to help when they're in the nail salon or where they're at, the, at their children's school. Um, but I, it started for me, I believe it was 9-11, when the Twin Towers were hit. And I was uh, serving at, as a medical assistant at a family practice. 
And I started to ask questions. I decided to go to school and become a registered nurse. And I took my intro to political science class and I learned about the political spectrum. And um, I remember I had an Obama sticker on my vehicle and a 96.9 sticker on my vehicle. And down here in the Valley, the 96.9 is a Christian radio station. I love uh, Jeremy Camp, uh, Toby Mack. And I, I, was, I did support Obama the first time, please forgive me. Uh, but I remember walking back <laughs> to my car and seeing a letter on my car that says, dear fellow Christian, just wanted to let you know that the two bumper stickers on your car contradict, contradict each other. So I went home to my grandmother and my uncle and my dad, and I just asked, why would they say that? What, what, what did I do? I wouldn't harm a fly. I wouldn't be able to you know, stand on a cockroach. And they just started to explain to me, and I started to ask questions in class, and I started to see that, uh, kind of like uh, Governor Susana Martinez, hey, I'm a Republican. And so I, I go to 2012 Republican National Convention. I was in enthusiastic about the diversity in the party, the pride for each state's, um, you know, just seeing so many Hispanics there and representing our community there and, and uh, watching it grow uh, since then is really, really something. And, and I'm, I'm grateful to be part of this movement uh, because I think it's going to be written in history, history books that Hispanics, uh, more Hispanics are running for office, more women are running for office. People are standing up and saying, you know what, I may be brown, but I'm going to vote how I want to because I have the freedom to make that decision. Uh, we do not have a, a ball and chain connected to the Democratic Party. And, and I think that the important thing to do is to inform people um, about how the Republican Party was founded and how Hispanic values are conservative values. I think uh, I, you hit the key here, and it's education. You said that you went home and you talked to your grandma, and you know grandmas are very wise, and that what we have. Uh, we have the abuelita commercial that we run. You know, like it's Maida Flores. She's the actress in that commercial. She's coming home after a long day at school, and she's asking the abuelita like uh, why we're conservative uh, why should i vote and the abuelita is telling her why you know like because uh we like to work for our things we don't want anything for free so you know that abuelita commercial is so powerful and you just describe exactly that abuelita commercial you went to grandma and asking her for that and education is the key and that's what we need the hispanic community education that's why they go and vote for whatever people talk and if they go with the media forget about it because that's not education so but we need education and we need education from our home from the abuelita and you know uh and i might want to bring lance in real quick uh if he's still with us uh, i read yeah. an article uh, uh from the new york times i believe today where they ran a poll uh actually the senatorial uh national senatorial committee ran a poll among hispanics and you know what was interesting, Lance, is of the like six or seven questions they asked, 80% of the respondents believed that the public education system was failing the Latino community. And that was shocking to me, 80% of the respondents. And so, you know, his, his, the Hispanic community uh, is starting to realize that the key to integrating into the free market and moving up the socioeconomic ladder in this country is a good education 
And, 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 and I've been arguing here in Texas and been trying to get our state leaders to focus particularly on the failures of urban education. Some of our rural school districts are doing a magnificent job. But with respect to urban education in Texas, it's an unmitigated disaster. And I was surprised that 80 percent of the respondents to the senatorial uh, uh, poll, 80 uh, percent said that th that education was was a problem. Well, keep in mind, the first generation of any group that's trying to transform themselves and their family into a new country, for example, um, have to have the job. They have to have the job. The job supports the family. Then you branch out from that, and you, usually it's the second generation that puts a premium on education because now they can see the light and where it can lead in all the various different places. Uh, it could be a doctor. It could be construction. It could be a, a lawyer. It could be something else. So now they see it. So we've got to start using public education, in, in my opinion, in a way that the Republican Party can address because the Republican Party typically wants you to get a civic education as well as a job education to become not only a better person, but understand what's all around them. The Democrats typically preach a public education system that's doctrinaire and is basically built around, let's say, big government aspects. And so I think um, the getting on school boards, getting in county commissioner districts, getting in some of the justice of peace districts that are you know, these rural counties will have eight JPs. Those are eight small districts in that county that Hispanic could be the next justice of the peace in. Yeah. So I want to see that. And then that works its way up. Then the third generation start wielding power. And yeah. that's, we're not there yet. We're on the way. And speaking of grassroots, let's bring in Chelsea. Uh, I know that she is a dynamo down in the Harlingen area. Uh, not only is she a project manager, as I understand, for the Hidalgo County Republican Party. And by the way, I've had the opportunity and the pleasure of meeting these two ladies, both Adrian and Chelsea, when I was down in the Rio Grande Valley. And by the way, ladies, we're coming back down there to see how we can help uh, you know, I know you guys are doing a fantastic job. In fact, y'all should be teaching the rest of Texas how to do it. But, you know, uh, for a long, long time, uh, conservative Hispanics were disparate groups. But one of the amazing things is that I'm looking across the state of Texas is the coordination and the, 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 the sharing of information and of ideas. I mean, whether it's Bienvenido or whether it's the RNHA through Betty Cardenas or whether it's Adrian uh, Peña Garza down in Hidalgo County or whether it's Freddie Arellano down in Maverick County. I mean, we're all networking. We're all involved in social media and we're all developing ideas that work. But one of the people down on the ground in Hidalgo County um, Lance, that we're talking about helping elect uh, local candidates is Chelsea Hal Garcia. And Chelsea is also, and I'm going to let her speak for herself, but I think the secretary of the Texas Young Republicans. So this young lady's not only a mom, an entrepreneur, but very grassroots oriented. So Chelsea, welcome. And have you, you want to add anything to what you've heard this morning? Um, I just think a lot of what, um, before anything, good morning, Orlando. Good morning, Andrea. Um, thank you for having me on your show. But I think a lot what goes on is people down here or anywhere. I mean, las abuelitas are misinformed sometimes. Um, I remember, <laughs> I remember going surveying house to house with an organization during the Trump versus Hillary campaign and. 
I had an abuelita actually tell me I'm voting for Hillary because she's against abortion. Uh. And I was like, where are you getting your information from? And she's like, mi nuera or my, or she said my granddaughter told me. And I was like, I'm sorry, but I hate to break your, the bubble, but your granddaughter is lying to you. And here's the proof. And I showed her on my phone, like, what Hillary Clinton stood for at the moment during that race. Chelsea, tell us a little bit about your personal experience. In other words, have you always been a conservative or are you like Adrian that, you know, you can't you grew up in a family with a lot of Democratic influence. And then all of a sudden you realize that the Democratic Party was sort of moving further and further and further away from the cultural values of the Latino, Mexican-American, Hispanic community. With me, it has in third grade. Um, I want to say it happened in third grade because I did a project of, they assigned me the person of Martin Luther King for that project. And I literally dug deep and found out that the Ku Klux Klan was founded by the Democrat Party. Mm -hmm. And by the way, there has not been a change. Those, Demo those Ku Klux Klan members still vote Democrat. They've never re voted Republican. So um, that happened. And I said to myself, I will never, ever vote um, Democrat ever in my life. Um, and seeing what happened in 9-11, I mean, even furthermore, in light, like it lit something in me. And I said, never again will I vote Democrat. Wow. Third grade. Um, I have a question that, I mean, some, one of our viewers make a question, ask a question, but I want um, one, one of you guys, you know, uh, each one answer this question because it's a different point of view. And they said, what advice will uh, you guys give to a Republican Hispanic County white candidate? Lance, we'll start with you. What advice would you give a countywide candidate in any race, uh, whether it's for uh, a district attorney, county attorney, county judge, or district clerk, or county clerk, or sheriff of that county. If they're running countywide, they're Hispanics, and they're running on the Republican ticket, what advice do you have for them? Well, you certainly um, have to have name recognition. Nobody goes anywhere without that. So networking and, and the various clubs and the various other kinds of organizations that this person must have got, become members in over the period of time, you actualize that very quickly and get it out. The, the main thing is, so there's got to be a compelling personal personal reason why you're running. There's got to be a compelling government reason why you're running. And that's about all you need to do. You do not need to do the Encyclopedia Britannica when you're campaigning for office. There's not enough time. So have a compelling personal issue that drives you to, toward public service and have a compelling government issue that you think needs to be changed then they say there's some criticality to your race i'm going to pay attention to you and by the way i like your culture i like your family faith and freedom aspect that you come from so i feel comfortable enough to say i'm putting my trust in you that's what it's all about adrian uh what would you tell a countywide uh hispanic republican that's running countywide as the chairman uh, of hidalgo county republican party um, I would say to start from the bottom, and that is to help empower the college Republicans, the young Republicans, 
uh, get involved with community service. There's Rotary International, there's uh, the Boys and Girls Club, there's literacy programs, um, have hosted blood drive, um, let people know that we're, yes, we vote Republican, but we're human beings and we care about each other and uh, make it fun, exciting and informative. Because one of the things that I think we do as leaders, we need to help inform our team, our volunteers, so that one day you can pass the torch to them. We want this to continue for, for lifetimes. And so Chelsea. we're going to have to do the groundwork. Excellent. Thank you. And Chelsea, uh, as a grassroots activist, and, and what do you tell uh, your colleagues of your generation that are interested in running for public office? What advice do you give them? I mean, it takes a lot of work. Um, it takes door knocking. It takes phone banking. And leaders that do that, that actually get on the ground and run with their team, I think once the leader or of that of that team goes blocks walks with their team, then that motivates the young younger volunteers and the young Republicans or, you know, like it encourages them. And it's like, well, if he's going to go block walk, why can't I? Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, so I just noticed the other day, yesterday, I think the Democratic Party of Texas put out a program that they've launched. I think it's called Project Texas, where they plan to register. They claim, Lance and Adrian, that there are over 2 million unregistered Latino voters in Texas. And they think that the overwhelming majority of these 2 million voters, if they could register them, would vote for the Democratic candidate and for the Democratic Party. Lance, any ideas, any thoughts on that? And then, Adrian, you jump in. Well, real quickly, um, every time they try to turn Texas, remember, Texas is the largest state in the union that's conservative, center-right, that's got a very powerful part on the stage today. So that's that's one of the big trophies that the Democratic Party is trying to turn around. And one of the ways that uh, they try to turn it around is a lot of uh, media advertising, et cetera. And, and normally we just say, come on down. We've got 27 media marks in Texas and we'll take all your money. But if they're going to try to go door to door, I think they're going to find the same back uh, backflow that happened in this last election where they're not, in fact, the Democrats are on the record now saying that their national democratic program, their national policy agenda is just not working in Texas. In other words, they've been doing a lot of self criticism of why they're not making, spending a lot of money in Texas and it's going nowhere. So I think basically uh, most of these unregistered uh, are probably more interested in getting a job, not being told why they can't have a job in a, in a changing green environment or whatever. So I think the job market's going to protect uh, our ability to sign up uh, Hispanics and then work that way itself into more education and realize that we've really got something good going here. We don't want it to turn into another Venezuela. Uh, Adrian, uh, just uh, you'll. Uh, I want to ask you to answer the same question, but wanna, I want to share a personal observation with you. You know, I've been involved in politics here in Harris County for 25 years, and for a long, long time, a lot of the Republicans used to say, oh, let's not register Hispanics or Latino voters because they'll just go vote Democrat. But I don't see that as the case anymore. I mean, would you agree? I think voter registration for Latinos, and along with an education uh, program, 
uh, is absolutely critical to maintain our growth here uh, for conservatives in Texas. Would you agree or disagree with that? Oh, yes, definitely. I, I think what, uh, what the Democrats have done fairly well is that they do activate on the ground. And I'm hoping and I'm pleading that the Republican National Organization, the state Republican organization, churches in your community, um, conservative-based organizations, Hispanic conservative-based, Hispanic Republican organizations, take the time to register voters. And it's gonna it's gonna take putting some some skin in the game. It's gonna take you know helping out rural communities like ours to to empower. Uh, leaders to go out and register voters. We do need to register them, but we also need to inform them. That's going to take time. It's going to take money. And so I'm hoping that this time around that we're going to get much more help here in South Texas. All right. We have a question, Andrea. We have a question. So uh, talking about registration is how big uh, of a role um, does the Catholic and Christian Hispanics play in registering Republican voters? You know, uh, and and I want to say that there is some very active churches down in the Rio Grande Valley. Uh, Pastor Cabrera, was it? Or Pastor? Luis Cabrera. Yeah, Luis Cabrera. Uh, and he are Very Charles. influential. Uh, but uh, uh, d d does the Christian community, uh, Adrian and Chelsea, in your opinion, and Lance, you can jump in afterwards, uh, does, does the Christian community, the conservative Christian community, play a role in the political process and the gains that we've made in Texas? Definitely. We, you know, there needs to be an organization that travels to the church and informs and trains the leaders there, and then they can do it. I mean, I think that's the thing is that what people are, are misunderstanding is that people don't all of a sudden know what to do. There needs to be some sort of core-based group that's going to come inform them and tell them, share statistics, share why it's important, share what a lot of these radical Democrats are trying to do and how it's impacting our values. And then they'll start activating um, my church as well. I'd love to get them engaged on registering voters, New Life Family Church out of McAllen. And I know there's churches like that throughout the state of Texas that just need um, us to go there and educate them on why they need to register voters. Chelsea, you agree that the role of the Christian conservatives in the Latino community should play a role in the political process? I mean, I always have argued that uh, we do. as Christians have a civic responsibility. I do, especially when our faith is under attack. I mean, this new administration wants to put a muzzle on pastors and what they say. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, I think we need to start standing up as Christians first and foremost and as Latinos and say enough is enough. Um, I definitely think the church needs to get involved. Um, I was listening to a pastor, um, his name is John MacArthur, and he says that the church needs to get involved. And it it's, it's, it's the core that founded this country, you know, and we need to get involved. Right. This and country was founded by Christian beliefs, and now our Christian beliefs are under attack. Lance, is there a partnership uh, that could develop between the, uh, uh, the, the the Christian conservative Latino community and the in the political process here in Texas? You bet. Uh, keep in mind, history's on the on the side of that. Uh, the way the African American community finally got politicized and then mobilized was through churches. 
nothing else. Churches, churches, churches. And uh, it was a direct vertical line of, of management control. The other thing I want to mention is a lot of evangelical Hispanics have obviously spread their wings in terms of trying to know what's going on in the government world, et cetera. And that's been one of the first breakouts in the Hispanic vote was the evangelical Hispanics. But keep in mind, during the Reagan era, we had the moral majority. What was that? Well, a number of uh, significant religious leaders said that a good bulk of the population satisfies himself on Sunday, but they don't get involved on Tuesday meaning the elections. And so they got together and came up with a moral majority and said, uh, you need to protect your life, your religious life here, not only from secular attacks, but also from a better country. And you need to be participant. And once we got that across, guess what? That was a big part of Reagan's uh, revolution that caught the establishment or deep state, we call it today, totally by surprise. Reagan brought in 13 U.S. senators in 1980 and something like uh, nine governors with him in his election. We haven't seen anything like that in a long time. That came from mobilizing a lot of the downscale moral majority types who said, I need to work to make my country better, not just play it, play it another way. We have a, a good comment about um, the Catholic church. Uh, church. So they say, Michelle Sanchez said, my Catholic church was kind of hinting that they were for Biden because of the immigration issues. That's mm -hmm. what I got from the priest. And we're being dealing with that. Because yeah, I, I, that's, that's exactly right. And I'm glad you're bringing that up. You know, the Catholic Church, uh, to me, and I'm Catholic, uh, um, and, 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 you know, I'm a wandering Catholic. I go to several Catholic churches here in Houston. But I am always, always astonished at the disconnect uh, for, uh, between the message at the pulpit which is for families, traditional marriage between a man and a woman, uh, the preservation of human life from conception to death, uh, and then uh, how they go out and vote for the liberal Democrats like Hillary Clinton and the pro-choice movement. Uh, that's a disconnect. And, and in my humble opinion, uh, you know, the Catholic Church is, is suffering a crisis in the United States, and that's, you know, few heads in the pews. And uh, one of the opportunities they saw was this mass migration from Latin America, assuming that the bulk of these folks coming across were Catholic and they'd fill the pews. Uh, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think the Catholic Church, you know, has a, has a messaging problem uh, with respect, as Lance said, what you message on Sunday but then what you do on Tuesday are two mm -hmm. different things. Uh, and then uh, the bulk of the uh, mig migrants that are coming, you know, are no longer Catholic. They're, they're very evangelical Christians. Christian, and yeah. uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a theologist. That's just a personal opinion. But, 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 but Miss Sanchez, who is watching our show and made the comment, she is spot on. There is definitely a disconnect in the American Catholic Church which which is what the pastor is preaching on Tuesday at the pul um, on Sunday at the pulpit and what the congregation and the parishioners are doing on Tuesday. I have never figured that out. And Lance, if you have any insights to that or Adrian, I'd love to hear it. Well, I've said enough, so go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think anyone well, would want to jump in. <laughs> well, I actually don't mind chiming in here is um 
unfortunately, there are some churches because churches, they're represented by human beings and human beings are flawed. And depending on where you are, there's politics. And if the county is blue, you know, you're talking about that's where a lot of the money is. And so, unfortunately, there are some churches that I believe do use uh, their church and they disregard what the word says um, because of politics, because of favors, because of financial donations. And there's one nun in particular down here in South Texas who does that. And it really bothers me. She'll continue to attack President Trump and says that he, you know, has these kids in cages, but takes no regard to what's taking place at the present moment. Uh, I'm, I'm having to hold my tongue a little bit, but it's unfortunate. I think there's an information problem and potentially a corrupt problem. All right. All right. And now, uh, one of the last things I want to focus on is because, of course, Hidalgo County and McAllen made the news again. Talk to us a little bit about Mayor-elect Villalobos, right? Uh, he was a former county chair in Hidalgo County, um, won by several hundred votes, but it's a stunner, right, Adrian and Chelsea? We're really happy for him. He was the chair in 2010 to 2014, and it's really exciting. I know that he did serve his time as chair. He did contribute uh, greatly to the movement. But since then, he's been a city commissioner, and he's also a lawyer in the community, and he has been reaching across the aisle and building relationships uh, with both sides of the political parties. And I think that that's what got him over the top. Excellent. The well, nonpartisan uh, election. City elections are nonpartisan. Yeah, and let's hear uh, from Chelsea also. Um, I actually went to congratulate him the night of the election. Um, he, I mean, he's the right choice for McAllen. I live in McAllen. Um, and we, I mean, I feel like a lot of people down here have had enough of the same record playing over and over the same promises, the same, the, the wanting of raising up our taxes every single time, every single election year or every single year i mean people are getting tired and a lot of people down here are waking up finally and i'm proud to say that the only reason why i'm here is because of the other lady that you have here in our interview is because of adrian pena garza because she inspired me and she put that flame underneath me that said you know what if she can do it so can i and I'm definitely in debt to Adrian because if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing with Texas Young Republicans with anything political. Well, and that's why the Garzas, both Mr. and Mrs. Garza down in the Rio Grande Valley are just huge leaders. I know they're both very involved. They travel the state quite a bit. And, you know, for me, it's just been a joy to meet both of them in their mild manneredness and how they lead and it's amazing to me, and I've always said this, uh, that what's going to keep Texas conservative, unlike California, is our young people that are going out and becoming role models, whether it's Monica or whether it's Maida or whether it's Chelsea and, and, and Adrian and, and, and you know, uh, our, Ma our Maverick County Republican Party leader down there, former uh, Maverick County chairman, GOP, Freddie Arellano or Joel Castro, or even, I don't know if you ladies know, but if you follow us on Facebook, you know we did a big rally for Roman Garcia, a city council candidate in Kerrville, Texas, running against a liberal 
uh, woman, and it was actually falling behind, and we held a big rally. We thought about 30, maybe 40 people would show up, Adrian. We had over 350 show up. We had to double the size of the room, and just last, a few Saturdays ago, uh, Roman became the youngest elected city councilman uh, in Texas, and so I mean, you know, old guard Republicans always ask me, how are we going to how, how are we going to continue the conservative leadership in the state of Texas? And I always tell them, just look to these young people. Don't look to guys like Lance Torrance and Orlando Sanchez. <laughs> you know, these, yeah, look to Roman and look to Joel Castro and look to Freddie Adiano and look to Monica and look to Maida and look to Chelsea and look to Adrian. I mean, these are the leaders of tomorrow. And it's I am just absolutely delighted that they're going to keep the state of Texas conservative. And I can't wait to see what 2022 has. And the last word that I, that I want for you guys, you know, my, my background is, is in the media. And unfortunately, as you say, Chelsea, you know, we have a lot of misinformation. And we're seeing not only in the media, but now in the social media. So what can we tell our community to be more uh, accurate, informed, if we have this constantly misinformation from the media and the social media. Watch TLC Live every Wednesday. Uh, yeah, uh, well, besides that. <laughs> <laughs> that and just do your own research. I mean, it. if you do your own research, you find out a ton. Like, do your own research. Um, never take what happens, what the media says, as whole truth because they're not saying the truth. I mean, they've been proven. I mean, take a look at the whole Fauci situation. I mean, they lied about that. Yeah. They lied about what else? They lied about China. I mean, if they can lie about that, I mean, I don't even think the media at this moment has even credit. Like they, like they don't, I don't know. It, how people can actually believe them at this point. Mm. All right. Well, we're coming up to the noon hour, so I know it's lunchtime down in the RGV. It's lunchtime <laughs> in Harris County, and I know it's lunchtime in Travis County, and I know that uh, Debbie probably has a long honeydew list for Lance Torrance. So, first of all, I want to thank Lance Torrance for taking his time to be with us this morning. And his wife for helping him and with the technology. And Debbie for helping with the technology. <laughs> I want to thank Adrian for taking time out of her very busy. I mean, this is a rock star down in Hidalgo County in South Texas. So, Adrian, thank you for taking the time out to be with us this morning. And, Chelsea, thank you and congratulations for your leadership. I hope that you were looking to your generation to lead the state of Texas into the future. Again, Texas Latino Conservatives is a Texas general purpose political action committee. We are dependent on the generosity of donors. So if you want to donate, go to our website, www.texaslatinoconservatives.com. If you're interested in getting involved, we also operate as a 501c4 nonprofit organization under the IRS code. And we train, we engage, and we educate the young Latino community. So join our Leadership Latino class. We have the schedule on our website. There we will show you how to become a candidate, how to become an activist, how to become a Republican precinct chair, how to motivate your community. 
uh, how to raise money, how to talk to the press. It's Campaigning 101. We do that free of charge to you, thanks to the generosity of our donors. So stay involved. We'll be back next Wednesday at 11 o'clock, más o menos. Y Andrea, te voy a dar la última palabra. I just wanted to thank you, ladies and Lance, and I just want to say that empowering women, you know, women, we have, we are, you know, we are the, the, the new thing now. We're in fashion. Now we are not only taking care of the house, taking care of the kids, taking care of the family, but we're taking care of the counties, the cities, and the country very soon. Well, Lance, that means you and I <laughs> need to step aside. So empowering your daughters, you know, uh, always encouraging them to go to school, to educate themselves, to be good moms, but also to be good leaders. And that's very important. All right. So you heard it there from Andrea. We will see you guys again next Wednesday. Thank you all for joining us. God bless and God bless Texas. Nos vemos el próximo miércoles. Bye. Chao, chao.